BT has a big repair job on its hands. Shares in the British telecoms firm fell almost 18%. It was their worst ever one-day fall and reduced the value of the 171-year-old firm by a fifth. An accounting scandal in BT's Italian business was partly to blame. We would expect the outcome of the Italian investigation to reduce our Q3 adjusted revenue and EBITDA by around 120 million and Q3 normalised free cash flow by around 100 million. For the year to March 2017 as a whole, relative to our prior outlook, we would expect a decrease in adjusted revenue of around 200 million and in adjusted EBITDA of around 175 million. Gavin Patterson at BT is not the only chief executive to have to announce a profit warning since the start of 2017. Pearson, Next, Premier Foods, NCC are another handful of casualties to have downgraded their full-year expectations since January. While some warnings, like that at BT, have been caused by one-off problems in a specific business division, others, including NCC and Pearson, hint at deeper-rooted problems within the company's operating structure. So is this a side effect of the current macroeconomic instability? Or do investors need to be wary of companies' structural issues which predate Brexit-related turmoil? And are there any sectors that are particularly vulnerable? I'm Megan Boxall, and in this special IC podcast, we're asking the question, why have there been so many profit warnings so far in 2017? I'm joined by Alan Hudson, partner at consultancy firm EY, which has collected and analysed data on UK company profit warnings since 1999, and the IC's company's editor, Ian Smith, who, as we emerge from a hectic season of company reporting, has edited an awful lot of IC results write-ups. So, Alan, if I could start with you. As we've said, there have been a lot of pretty high-profile profit warnings so far in 2017. But is the total number any higher than normal? Interestingly, it's probably about the same as it was this time last year. It probably kicked off a bit, a bit more frenetic, but overall we're running at about the same level. But it's not the same. Whereas last year we were still seeing a kind of fallout from the oil price decline. This year we're seeing different reasons, some of which are more structural post-Brexit definitely, but we're seeing a lot, probably a quarter of those warned this year, referring to price pressure, which they can't pass on to customers. Mm -hmm. So again, it probably begs that maybe this is a bit more structural in some of the challenges they now face. Structural problems which are then exacerbated by macroeconomic problems. Well, certainly we're now seeing currency. I mean, interestingly, the back end of last year, a number of people benefited from currency, but equally this year, and this probably picks up on your theme with retailers, we're seeing retailers who've probably come out of the hedging that they had in place last year, yeah. now facing challenges in terms of the, the price at which they're buying goods, then pass on to retailers, yeah. um, or sorry, to the customer. And you know, customers are still very resistant to price rise. Mm -hmm. And so in many cases, we're seeing them absorb it. We've also seen how suppliers into big retailers have had a challenge in this regard. We talked at the last quarter about how your chocolate bar is now getting smaller. It's, you know, we can't put the price up, so we just don't have to make the product smaller. Mm, that's an interesting topic, isn't it? <laughs> Making a Toblerone with fewer triangles. Um, so sort of an average quarterly figure. I mean, we were, we were looking at data from the back end of 2016 and a report that you put out actually had relatively fewer profit warnings um why why was that do you think well i think i mean the last the quarter at the end of last year we had 73 warnings mm. um which was modestly up on on the prior quarter but significantly down on the prior year mm. uh, and the reason was Q4 2015 was when we had the oil price mm. collapse and we went over 100 so there was an awful lot came out in that Interestingly, what we haven't seen since the referendum is anyone really citing Brexit directly. Yeah. It'd be fair to say immediately after it, if anything, it became a bit of a badge of convenience. I think there was a few who kind of like, well, we'll throw Brexit in the mix. 
but we haven't really seen that coming through. Whereas now, I think some of these structural themes, the impact on currency, um, some government policies that are probably going to come from this, we expect to see that driving more and more uncertainty for businesses. Mm, okay. And what, what are the main sort of reasons why a company would warn on profits? Well, I think the thing to remember is, at the end of the day, you can perform uh, less well than you did the last year and not warn. This yeah. is about being outside of the expectation of markets. Yeah. So I think one of the things we are seeing, and you're definitely seeing at retail at the minute, is dampening down expectation. And that's probably not a bad thing for boards at the moment, uh, with given the challenges. But why, why is that not necessarily working out for everyone? I think we've certainly seen issues around contracting businesses in particular, where maybe they've seen pressure on contracts, on pricing on delays and new contracts being put in place. And I think in some cases, actually, the true profitability of some of those contracts, particularly in business services, now playing out. And then what we've interestingly seen is that in many cases, and probably uh, I think 50% of the companies have warned in the last 12 months, they've not just warned once, they've warned multiple times. Mm. And therefore, that begs the question, what's behind this? And why is it taking so long to bottom out what the real issue is? I think that whole question of how uh, cautious management are is really interesting, and especially with relation to the retailers that you mentioned. Um, Next, Lord Wolfson and Next is um, notorious for being quite overcautious, some people say, in terms of how he um, provides outlook statements on the company's trading. And in September, they were already talking about the increases in costs that they were going to face as a result of the uh, falling pound um, and other costs, such as wage costs that they're going to face as a retailer. So they did quite a good job of managing expectations there. But then we still saw, after the Christmas trading period, a big fall in the next share price. They were down almost a quarter in January after they said that their full price sales had not been strong as they'd like. They'd actually fallen during the Christmas period on a like-for-like basis. So that was quite a good example where, even though they'd been quite cautious, they had then struggled. Why were people so worried about that? Well, because of the rising costs that you mentioned, their ability to pass on those costs, as you also mentioned, to consumers is huge. So then if they're struggling in terms of their full price sales, that's going to be very difficult for them to then protect their margins, their profitability, when those higher costs come through. I agree. I think retail is interesting because people can relate to retail. They know the names. But you've got, as you say, wages are only going up business rates now coming through. So for those of which are physical retail platforms, input prices coming through as currency hedges unwind and and prices are going up generally. And now we see quite a lot of mixed messages around how confident consumers are or aren't. I mean, we can see pretty much a different report every day. But the truth is, the kind of mood music is the headwinds are getting stronger, certainly for those BRICS uh, retailers. And even at the sort of internet level, whilst it's still growing, it's not growing as strongly as it was. Yeah, and I saw in in Weatherspoon's results, there were £20 million in extra costs that they were expecting this year. Business rates, higher excise duties, um, higher taxes for electricity, and now the apprenticeship levy. Uh, So there's huge costs that anyone that employs people at that level um, are having to pay, which is really disadvantaging no, absolutely. And well, retail is one of the interesting sectors. But are there any other sectors which you've seen have had a particularly rough time in the last few months? Probably the one that stands out is support services, which you know is a pretty broad church. Mm. But um, those businesses which particularly are providing kind of outsource services and their sort of growth and returns have been fueled by putting more and more volume into those businesses over the last few years. And what we've seen um, in the last 12 months is an increasing number of warnings coming through from them for a range of reasons. Quite often, when there is any economic uncertainty, they feel it first. People kind of slow back on putting contracts in place. We saw a lot of contract delays and cancellations. We've also seen probably quite a lot of 
what I describe as bad news coming out around contract performance and whether they're achieving the results they expected to achieve and whether they properly understood the costs that would be involved in those. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the sector we see most uh, exposed at the moment, certainly producing probably the most bad news, if you want to phrase yeah, it that way. Yeah. Do you think with the number of sports services and particularly outsourcers that have been struggling, do you think it could almost be uh, taken as a forewarning to problems in other sectors? Because like you say, there's a decreased spending, a decreased amount of companies looking to outsource because they've got less money. Well, I think there's definitely a potential that they're a bit of a bellwether because of others pulling uh, pulling and tightening their purse strings, if you like, mm. in terms of what they're doing. I think also what we see is expectation of delivery by outsourced providers is maybe going up in terms of ways you may have cut them some slack previously. Actually, we now want you to perform mm. to the letter of the contract. We want to see the benefits come through that we expected because we need them ourselves. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that we, you know, with the sort of greater uncertainty that's out there, I wouldn't expect them to be the last sector that's impacted right now. As I said, we haven't really seen anyone citing an impact of Brexit. Mm. Um, maybe that's not the term that people are using, but we are seeing people talk about currency. We are seeing talk about inflation. I mean, basically the things that are coming out as a result of some of the political upheaval that's been out there. There was very much an argument that the business cycle was starting to slow down anyway ahead of the Brexit vote. And that is what was baked into a lot of the economic forecasts. Do you think that yeah, beyond the Brexit effect, there perhaps is a slowdown just in general business investment, and that is then hitting all of the outsourcing and services groups. I think certainly, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of different surveys on this, but I think there was, it felt like a bit of a pause post-Brexit, um, whilst people reassessed where they're at. And, and whilst there's good examples of, of people getting on with investment now, because almost we can't wait for, for, for what bre- happens with Brexit, I think it has put a degree of uncertainty into certain markets. I think one of the challenges, though, for many businesses is we, we talk about things like Brexit and, and Trump and all these good things, but actually probably one of the bigger risks for many businesses is disruption and what's going on in terms of technology. And, you know, you could be sitting here in the UK worrying about what happens in Brussels and the negotiation, and actually you're being out-innovated at the same time. So you, you still need to keep investing in in your business model and keeping it relevant. I think the concern for investors here is that you ultimately have to trust a business's ability to manage its contracts and get a good estimation of the costs that are part of those contracts. And whether it's NCC or BT or Capita, when businesses turn around and say, well, actually, this contract's going to take a lot more money to fulfil than we originally thought, it can then have a huge um, impact on the profitability. And that's where we see the big share price falls, that investors then say, well, I'm not sure what I can trust in terms of the contracts of this business. Mm. And Megan, you've seen that in a couple of cases. Yeah, well, absolutely. The examples you just mentioned, NCC is the one that really stands out for me as one of the companies that I've been looking at recently. And yeah, it's just... The first time it announced profit warning in December, that that had followed some bad news. And now they're saying, actually, ability to see through so many contracts in the whole of their big, big division. I mean, it doesn't really do an awful lot to inspire shareholder confidence. No, and I think if you look at BT, which is a major example, although this is talking about their global services division, um, with a few of these warnings, you see the kind of tip of the iceberg for investors, which is then the clue that something might be uh, lurking under the surface that's far greater. So at their Q2 stage, they talked about a non-cash specific item charge of £145 million in relation to inappropriate management behaviour at BT Italia. But they said no further on that subject. And then we saw just a couple of days before the Q3 results, 
actually that 145 million charge was actually going to be 530 million charge. The ongoing cash profits were going to be substantially lower. Mm. And then people were scratching their heads. How can this be the case that this is not that profitable a division? How can you have these huge um, charges and restatements of profit expectations on the back of this? Mm. Um, But again, it came down to the estimation of costs they were putting against those historic contracts. And thus we saw um, the shares in BT fall substantially in January and they'd had a tough year anyway. So that's one of those examples and we could name a few more such as Bovis Homes on the production side, a medium-sized house builder, where that first hint that something has gone wrong is easy to say with retrospect, (laughs) turns out to be indicative of much larger problems. We seem to have seen quite a lot of multiple profit warnings. Do you think this is a normal sort of trend, companies warning number of times within a short period of time. Well, they do say they come in threes. Do you think that's objectively true? It would appear that the occurrence of multiple warners has has increased and that we're seeing more of that. And I think you you make a good point around contracting businesses Mm. where it's seeming to take two or three goes to bottom out the real position, which probably reflects in part the complexity of some of these businesses, the number of contracts they have. And I guess in some respects, the lack of visibility the centre can have as to the true profitability what cost they baked in, what they didn't, and also just the view they took at a particular time as to how profitable it was. And two or three years on, you might put a different lens on that in terms of where you believe that contract will go, will it be renewed, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you then throw into the mix that, you know, it's quite hard for anyone to immediately leap to, you know, it's really awful, let's go all the way to the bottom and, and, you know, put all the bad news out there. I think there's a natural belief that, oh, that looks like enough. We've, we'll, we'll put that out. And I'm sure that will cover the bad news. And then you keep digging and you find more and more and more. So certainly, I'd say on the contracting, contracting businesses we've warned, it's probably taken two or three goes pretty much all the time now. And it's almost like there's a kind of a snowball effect here and, and they keep digging. And, and I think the point you're raising is a good one, is if, if they cite one contract, what confidence do you have that it's an isolated incident as opposed to why hasn't that been repeated in a number of contracts you entered into the same time? Yeah. You know, was it really just, you know, one team got it wrong as opposed to just the approach we took to a market at that time was wrong? And then you sometimes have a new management team coming in who then take a more cautious, ongoing view of all the contracts. And then you can get further write-downs as they throw out the kitchen sink, you know, to use the common phrase. You can see multiple instances. And I think BT is also interesting because you can then look back in history, um, recent history, back to 2008, where they had similar problems, although different, in their global services business. And again, it was about the targets around the contracts and how profitable they would be. And they ended up taking a huge uh, write-down in their 2009 results of 1.3 billion pounds and 1.2 billion pounds of that related to just two contracts so you can see when you're dealing with these massive contracts uh, for international clients that that can then have a huge impact on the numbers and at that point they instigated a wholesale review of the uh, global services division how they're going about it how it was managed like say the understanding from the center of what's going on and yet a few years down the line, there are similar, albeit not the same, problems happening with relation to the estimation of how profitable these contracts will be. Do you think it could almost be where maybe it's a cynic's point of view to think that they do know more than they necessarily let on and hope they're going to sort it out by the time time they have to warn again? Or do you think that it is often a case of actually, as you dig down into these contracts, that's when they realise that there are deeper lying problems? Well, I think uh, a challenge, I guess, for, for, for management teams, and particularly if it's a new management team that's come in, is, you know, is, is there the corporate memory in the business, one, mm. to know what went on here? 
and a natural human tendency at, at all levels is to to, to want to give good news and and you know mitigate the how bad how bad it is. So I think sometimes it's in our experience it's people not wanting to believe it's as bad as it could be, and therefore they tend to look uh, more on the on 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 the good side. The counter to that is when a new team comes in. I kind of expect them to get. I mean, you get one go, so why wouldn't you clean the decks? Yeah. Um, I think the other thing I just call out is, um, and then obviously there's a lot of businesses who do very well in doing outsourcing and contracting, but it's really understanding what's their approach to booking the profits. At what point are they actually recognising that they're making the money? And some of the mm-hmm. challenges here is very early in the contracts they're recognising revenue and profitability, which arguably you might say should be later in in the game when they do recognize that and then what happens is two three four years down the line when the margin isn't there anymore we start seeing the the losses occur yeah well that's bt really falls under that spectrum and that that's one of the reasons that bt's having to has had to warn so heavily on 2018 profits because it was booking profits that just simply weren't there so ian you brought up bt earlier and uh their previous share price decline um we often see share price sell-offs when a company warns on profit. What is an investor's best action once a company has warned on, on profits? Well, it depends on the kind of profit warning, I think, is what we're are saying here. There are some that say buy on bad news, buy when there's blood in the streets is another um, more colourful well, yeah. <laughs> description of uh, that process. Uh, but I, I had a look back at a couple of um, profit warnings from the past few years or you know massive business problems that impact on profitability so plus 500 which is a contract for difference providers can spread betting uh, provider in early 2015 it came out and said that it had to suspend some of its trading because to make sure that it was compliant with anti-money laundering uh, requirements um, so that was obviously huge. It's a financial services company, which is admitting that it is um, below requirements when it comes to knowing the people that are using the service, make sure that it, ha- it has basic anti-money laundering uh, standards in place. And the shares on the back of that news fell 280p to 470p. So that's a huge proportional change in the share price. And I think they even went as low as 424p. If you had bought in right at that point, if you trusted the management's ability to deal with that problem and to do, speak with the FCA as they said they were doing and to sort out that kind of one-off um, deficiency in the running of the business, then by 2016, um, you could have had a huge proportional increase. If you had trusted at that point, you would have been able to buy the company at a very low valuation. That would look great. But actually, if you look forward, Plus 500 once again has taken a big dip in terms of its share price because now the FCA is clamping down on that exact same market. So you could say, well, actually, that's a market that the regulators have very much had its eyes on. Mm. So you're baking in a lot of political or regulatory risk by buying into those shares. At the same time, that's quite a good example of one where if you just pretend that this latest FCA intervention hadn't happened, if you had bought in just on the back of those problems in the business, it came down to a judgment call on whether those problems were deeper Mm. or whether quite simply they could just improve the processes and then you've got quite a cheap business another one that's probably more relevant to what we were talking about is tesco and the 2014 accounting scandal that they had which was down to uh, again 
revenue recognition and when they were booking revenue um, and their relationships with suppliers. Now, if you had bought in after the Tesco accounting scandal, you would still be worse off. But then you have to then bake into that uh, calculation or that evaluation all the other problems faced by a particular industry. So for grocers, it's price deflation and dealing with a highly competitive market with the entrance of the discount uh, food retailers. So yeah, there's definitely a case to be made for buying into companies when there is bad news mm. and taking and we try and do that at the Investors Chronicle take a slightly more long term, not just reacting to the headlines if you have a better understanding of the underlying business, but it, it's crucial what kind of profit warning that is. Yeah. Do you think it's indicative of bad management, which is obviously quite hard to evaluate. Do you think there's an underlying problem with the contracts, in which case you need to look at the entire pipeline and the kind of um, valuation and um, profitability that is expected for the company and the valuation that's being put on that profitability? Or do you think that it's just a one-off interruption of trade or regulatory intervention or political intervention that you think the company is going to be able to get over for the long, longer term? It's a tough call. Yeah, it can seem very speculative at times. Um, yeah, is that a trend that you've seen in your analysis? I guess the issue here is avoiding the multiple warners because yeah. every time a company warns, we see quite a significant share price decline, probably on average in the, the, the mid to upper teens. And if we're going to warn two or three times, then you want to be there on the third one, not the first one. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, first and foremost, you need to be confident in management and therefore the, believe that they are going to turn this around or address the situation, whatever it is. I think one of the other things you would want to be sure about is that there's actually a robust business behind that. And what I mean is it's got a strong balance sheet to start with. So whatever are the challenges out there, actually, fundamentally, it's it's okay. If you think they're going to have to go off to the market, rush off to the market and raise money, then you probably don't want to get caught on the wrong side of that. Mm. And also, you know, is this, is it, as you say, a one-off or are we starting to see a trend here? Because certainly one of the things that's driven multiple warners is when they just get on the wrong side of a trend. And it takes them quite a while to get around that. And if they've not got a strong capital base, that's quite difficult. So, I mean, it's it's the nature of markets. You have to make a judgment call. And and maybe it's easier if there's a a flurry of warnings from like businesses, you might take a view that it's a sector challenge. And as long as they're a stronger player in the pack, they're the one to go with. But I would certainly think now that we're seeing more and more businesses multiple warn, you might want to do a little bit more digging and just assume it's one-off bad news and it will bounce back. Mm. Okay, well, that's great. Alan, Ian, thanks very much for that really interesting discussion. And thank you for listening. For more IC podcasts, head to our website or to acast.com forward slash Investors Chronicle or subscribe on iTunes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 